Hey there, y'all. Welcome back to Where the Dogwood Blooms. We're back after a little hiatus due to some sound drop issues. I'm sorry about that. Hopefully we've got it all worked out and it doesn't happen again. I'm sure regular listeners have noticed some big changes around here, starting with a new theme song. I have to give a big shout out to the best friend I've ever had, who happens to be my cousin, Mr. Evan Dew, for that. Evan is the lead guitarist and singer for the band Jackknife out of Brunswick County. If you get a chance to go see him perform, you really should tell him that Cassie sent you. All right, let's dive into the show. Today, North Carolina historian and author Warren Bingham is joining me to discuss George Washington and the Old North State. Warren is a North Carolina native who contributes to NCpedia, works with PBS NC, and wrote the book, George Washington's 1791 Southern Tour. Warren knows a lot about George Washington's time in North Carolina, so y'all pull up a chair and sit a spell while we talk about it. Warren? Hello, I'm here. Hey there, how are you? I am doing great. You hear me okay? I sure do. Super. I hear you well, too. I had to allow Spotify to uh, access my mic, and so I'm proud that I figured that out fairly quickly. I'm so glad. I didn't know which. I have two different studios right now, and this is my old one, so I'm praying that we don't have any sound drop issues. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're we're good right now, and we're off to a good start. We are. I'm so excited you agreed to do this with me. You're like a really big name and with North Carolina historians. Well, I, I don't know about that. I, I'm, I'm getting old, I think, so that may help in establishing me after all these years. I have been... Um, playing with it quite a long time so uh but i'm honored that you asked me cassie and i and you uh you have your own good following and uh you're much younger and uh you're doing a great job uh in promoting our state uh, to one another and we have so many newcomers in north carolina so i bet a lot of them are probably getting a kick out of what you uh, offer i hope so i think some people who aren't from here don't really understand the humor sometimes <laughs> but other than that i mean i've got i do have a good a good group of followers and they're well, interactive and yeah they like I'm, to learn so I'm, I'm very north carolina centric as as you know and and as you are but uh it's it's funny i think everyone should be but i'm sort of understanding as you're suggesting that not everyone that's moved here from michigan or new jersey when they're 35 years old is necessarily gonna at least get it right away so uh but but we we have to try to get them oriented yeah I mean, it's important. I think our culture is very important and, and talking about it and learning from each other and, and spreading it. I mean, there are people in eastern North Carolina that don't know, you know, some of the words that we use in western North Carolina and vice versa. Sure. So it's nice to shed a light on it. That, that is so true. So you are not only a published author, but you're on PBS and you contribute to North Carolina media, right? NC Media. Oh, oh, NCpedia. Yeah, yes. I, yeah, pardon me. I have uh, uh, been a contributor uh, in the past, and I had that actually started in the printed version uh, that was called the Encyclopedia of North Carolina, and then it uh, you know went digital at some point. Uh, but gosh, my involvement there dates back at least twenty twenty five years. That's awesome. I have the book, and I use the website all the time because I'm constantly writing about and talking about North Carolina. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. You know, the cool thing about it going digital is I guess it can be edited. I'm not sure who who all has the controls over editing, but uh, back when we were stuck with print only, you know, uh, things had to be updated every now and then, and you could get some wrong information. Uh, so I think it's wonderful that uh, it does get edited from time to time. So all of this ties back to your love of history. How did that happen? How did you fall in love with history? As I was growing up, I think both parents liked history and I had an older brother and he enjoyed history. And when we were sort of um, uh, a nerdy uh, family on vacations, visiting historic sites. And my dad, uh, when he was young, he was from Denton, North Carolina in, the, in Davidson County. And 
when he finished high school, he went off to D.C. Uh, and lived for several years, but uh, not doing a, a glamorous job on Capitol Hill or anything. Uh, he was working at an A&P grocery store. But anyway, where I'm heading with that is um, I think that um, helped my father uh, fall in love with American history. And uh, he was a big George Washington fan, too. And uh, so growing up, uh, we often stopped at historic sites and our family went to D.C. usually once a year. And I think that had a lot to do with kind of particularly bringing my uh, interest to uh, uh, American history and, and ultimately North Carolina history, too. Uh, my my family lines, uh, I think uh, you've pointed out the same on your side. It's like my direct lines are pretty much in North Carolina only back about 250 years Uh and uh, I feel like I'm like of North Carolina, so I honor it by, you know, trying to promote it. <clears throat> excuse me, trying to promote it and to uh, uh, help others understand it better too. So uh, that's that's just sort of the natural thing. And then in seventh grade, uh, that's where we had North Carolina social studies when I was growing up, and I, that was that's probably I was thinking about that before we just spoke. I, that may be my all-time favorite course of my of the 12 grades of, uh, of K through 12. Anyway, uh, I just love my seventh grade North Carolina social studies course. That sort of, uh, affirmed my, my interest in studying North Carolina. That was me. We had that class in eighth grade and it was my favorite class. And I made A's all year long. And I was always so, pr- my, I had the greatest teacher. He was Mr. Reeves and he just made me fall in love with North Carolina history. He was phenomenal. You got turned on to George Washington because your daddy was into George Washington. That uh, was definitely an influence. Uh, so we visited Mount Vernon some when I was a small child. And uh, so I, I and dad loved George Washington, had some books on Washington and the family library. Uh, not that I really read them as a kid, but uh, yeah, that had a big uh, influence on me. And then I was uh, uh, just thinking that it was really in a, uh, a North Carolina history class in college uh, where I first took note of Washington Southern tour, uh, because it was in that class that the professor talked about Washington. I, I remember this specifically. He was talking about his visits, giving me some anecdotes about, uh, his visits to, uh, Salisbury and to Wilmington in particular. And that really resonated with me because, uh, this sounds weird, but it's like I, it hit me. At, I guess I was 21 years old. I said, Hey, George Washington was real. He was in North Carolina because George Washington always sort of seemed like some kind of mythical figure. I always say like Paul Bunyan or something, but you know, it, it really hit me. I said, Hey, if he was in North Carolina, he was a real deal. So that really turned me on. And I, over the years, sort of studied more and more about his uh, one-time visit to North Carolina as president. And that was part of a tour through the South where he was visiting Virginia, both Carolinas and Georgia uh, during his first term as president. And I started studying that topic after college. And then I always enjoyed public speaking. Um, all four years of high school, I was the one that gave the sermon on Youth Sunday. Uh, so so it was a natural that I wanted to speak. So I came up with several topics on history. And the one that was always most popular with uh, with audiences, it might, this is mostly civic clubs and history groups, um, heritage groups, uh, was Washington Southern Tour. And these were mostly done in North Carolina back when I first started and uh, you know, people enjoyed knowing about Washington's uh, stops in North Carolina. So that's kind of how it started. I talked on it for 20 years before the book finally uh, came out in 2016. I love that. So I actually have personal connections to George Washington. I've always loved the Revolutionary War and been fascinated by George Washington. I mean, I was raised by my grandparents. And so that always that gave me a deep love of history. Because, you know, they were alive during World War II, the Great Depression. I knew my great-grandfather, like, he remembered before electricity came into Western North Carolina. Um, and as I got older, I got into genealogy. And I found out that I'm a direct descendant of Augustine Warner and Mary Townley of Warner Hall. Um, and of course, they were the great-great-grandparents of George Washington. And then the second connection is that my fifth great-grandfather was Valentine Crawford, and he and his brother William grew up with George Washington, and they served him as surveying aides before the Revolution, and then they served under him in the military during the war. 
Well, that is awesome. You are well connected. I have to come up with, I, I've studied my genealogy a bit and I don't have those good connections. So, so, so to, together we're powerful though. There you go. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit more about Washington's tour? Like, why did he decide to travel? Well, and that's a great question because travel was tough. Um, but when Washington became president in uh, 1789, uh, early on, he decided that he would like to visit, as he put it, I think, in uh, a letter to John Adams, his vice president. He said, I think I shall try to visit the 13 states of being only 13 at the time. And uh, he said, I think it would be good to see the states and the people because Washington, um, you know, had not really uh, gotten south of Virginia. Uh, the only time he'd ever been to North Carolina would have been uh, also visits as a speculator, land speculator and surveyor in the dismal swamp up in the northeastern part of the state. And uh, that's really not seeing North Carolina, you know, so. Uh, he wanted to visit uh, all 13 states, but, uh, yeah, he was saying he should to see the land and, and meet the people, and that's true. But uh, he was a shrewd man, and I think he realized that it was going to be a challenge to pull the 13 states together. And, hey, now it's a challenge to pull the 50 states together, right? So Washington uh, recognized that he had clout, that uh, he was the most influential American. And uh, he didn't go around writing that down or saying that. Uh, but uh, he knew that. And so I think he thought his physical presence and word of his being physically present in each state meant a lot and it would help unify the country. So that is, I think, the real uh, underlying important point of this, because travel was tough, but he wanted to do it. So essentially, he made three trips to cover the uh, 13 uh, states. And the final trip was the longest one of all. I remind you, the capital was in Philadelphia uh, back then. Um, or by the time he traveled to uh, to uh, the south, it was. It started uh, uh, in uh, New York City was where he was residing, but he moved to Philadelphia. And uh, from there, he launched a southern tour in the spring of 1791, literally on March the 21st, uh, on a formal visit to Virginia, North and South Carolina, and Georgia. So that's what it was all about. And he tended to um, you know, make appointments. Uh, he'd written ahead uh, to, you know, to the most prominent people. That he knew the other statesmen, uh, Congress people, uh, soldiers in the revolution, leaders in the communities, and so forth. But while he traveled, and once he got to these bigger places, of course, everyone was hearing about him. And it was a huge deal that George Washington was coming. I always say it's, it was bigger than the Elvis and Pope combined uh, coming to town. So uh, that's what was going on with why, what drove him to uh, to take this tough trip. Wow. So what did he think? Of the other states. Well, first of all, North Carolina almost, it took us a while to to ratify. It did. And that's one reason for sure, um, you know, could be a variety of factors. But but uh, North Carolina uh, being one of the uh, last states, the 12th of the 13th to ratify, uh, that uh, prevented him from coming any sooner because he did not want to come to a state and not ha that hadn't yet ratified the Constitution. So that kind of made that uh, a, a de facto thing that, hey, I can't come to y'all, uh, and I'm not going to go to the trouble to pass over you to get down to South Carolina. So anyway, uh, he felt, though, that once uh, the state had ratified, it was time to come, and that wound up being the last uh, tour. Um here, uh, he really, he did it when Congress, so in spring 1791, he only agreed to come when Congress got out of town. Well, imagine this. Uh, yeah, I guess they went into session like in early January, and by the middle of March, they were out of session. Wouldn't that be a, a, a change of uh, <laughs> a pace today? Uh, so uh, he was glad they uh, got out when they did, though, because he thought if they ran on into April and all, He'd be in Georgia, as, as he called it, by the sickly months. And so he wanted to get as far south as Georgia and start heading back home uh, before the well, warm and the malaria-type season uh, came on. So uh, that was an important point. So in 1791, he was rooting for Congress to get out of town, and they did leave in time. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it, it was an important uh, thing to him. It was like, you know, the logistics were tough, so um, it, it really would. I don't know what would have happened had they stayed on longer. He might have delayed his trip an entire another year. So malaria, I'm going to guess if he was worried about that, wasn't as much of an issue in, in Philadelphia or the northern states. 
Right. It was, uh, I think, in, uh, starting about South Carolina and Georgia is where the concern came in. I don't know how real that concern uh, needed to be, but but it was there. And he, he literally wrote that, that uh, that was a concern. Uh, in Georgia, uh, the state, the footprint of the state wasn't nearly the size of what we know today. It was mostly kind of like the northern uh, quarter of it. Uh, but it did include Savannah and Augusta. So it was kind of, you know, go from the coast up to the Blue Ridge um, and uh, go, come down to maybe a quarter of the way of what we know today. And that was the state at the time. Atlanta was not even um, created yet. That didn't exist. The capital was Augusta. But I suppose it was down in the low country, Charleston, and uh, below there and down to Savannah and in that region where he was most worried about being down there uh, very late in the spring. So what did he think about the southern states? Well, he mostly, you know, Washington kept a diary. So that's an important source and the primary source uh, for uh, my knowledge. And uh, sometimes he doesn't give you a lot of insight. But to him, uh, you know, he was a farmer. He was a surveyor. He was uh, a, a land speculator. Uh, and he was also one who dealt with men. Uh, a lot. So his diary comments often are about the, the land uh, and about the types of vegetation he would see, or in general about the kind of people he would meet and their spirit. He didn't tell you a lot of deep insight, uh, but he generally liked, he, he I think he liked very much the Southern tour, as I call it, uh, because uh, it felt successful. Uh, he was well-received, um, even, you know, but George Washington was so respected. Here's a good little side anecdote that one of the leading North Carolinians in the era was Wiley Jones, who lived in Halifax. And Wiley was a leading opponent uh, to the Constitution in North Carolina. He very much wanted the Bill of Rights, but he, he was even concerned beyond that. He just feared a, a strong federal government. But Wiley Jones in Halifax said, I will refuse to, to greet uh, George Washington is president of the United States. However, I will see him as a great man. So that kind of shows you how it, how it was at the time. Uh, but Washington uh, generally was well-received, and, and there you even have a Wiley Jones saying, hey, I'll see you, but I'm just not going to call you uh, Mr. President or Your Excellency or anything. You're just a great man. I probably called him General Washington. I don't really know. But Washington liked the trip. He liked the South. He commented on the different types of soils. He'd probably never seen vegetation once he got to southeastern North Carolina and then down the South Carolina coast to Georgia. That was the first time he'd ever seen a lot of vegetation, and it's probably some of the uh, animal life that he saw there uh, and some of the agricultural stuff, you know, rice and indigo, et cetera. So uh, that was a very different thing for him. Uh, he made some comments at times. You realize he didn't probably like the warmer weather and probably didn't like the soils of the eastern, far eastern parts of the southern states. Uh, but um, in general, he was a big fan of the uh, of all the states. I think he he relished leading those thirteen states, and he wanted to see them grow too. Uh, he wanted to see the individual states grow. He would often comment about how they might can improve commerce by uh, doing more with their uh, rivers. And then uh, he wanted to to get canals going to uh, have more states uh, to succeed to the west of the uh, 13 states. And, of course, eventually they, they did. Uh, so I hope I answered about what Washington uh, thought about the uh, South. Sometimes you have to read between the lines with Washington's diary. Where all did he stop in North Carolina? I know because I have roots in Wilmington. I spent most of my life there. I know he visited Wilmington. Um, but where where all did he visit? He entered the uh, state uh, from Virginia on a stormy afternoon, uh, I believe it was mid-April uh, by that time, uh, and it, above Halifax. And so he actually had to cross the Roanoke River at the end of a storm to get to uh, to town of Halifax, which was one of the most important places in the state at the time. And uh, so he started out in Halifax. And I mentioned Wiley Jones, who lived there, uh, who was not real keen on him, on Washington being president. Um, and I always think this is kind of funny. Uh, Washington spent two nights in Halifax, and uh, he did say something in this diary about, um, uh, you know, received a, a, an okay visit there. Uh, he often got cannon salutes and 
and and bonfire tributes and and many uh, toasts were drank to his honor and so forth when he would visit these communities. But he said something I forget now the words, but it gave you the impression that well I got a pretty good reception in Halifax, but the truth is I think most people were thrilled in Halifax about Washington's visit and seeing him. Uh, but they couldn't act but so happy because they had to live with Wiley Jones, you know, after Washington left town. So that may have, uh, you know, kind of tamped down the the reception. Uh, from Halifax, it was on to uh, Tarboro. Uh, and a f- kind of funny thing there, uh, it's always said, Washington, Washington wrote, I received as good a salute as one can give from a single cannon. So Washington liked these cannon tributes, but they only had one cannon in Tarboro at the time. But they did have a, ri- a bridge over the Tar river, which was on your bridges were few and far between back then. So crossing water was always a challenge. And so he loved there, that there was a bridge uh, in Tarboro. And from Tarboro, he was down uh, near present day Aden. Uh, Aden didn't exist at the time. He passed near uh, Greenville and Aden and then went on to uh, pass near what uh, was then used to be Kingston that turned to Kinston. And uh, then he spent a couple nights in Newburn. And then Washington had to uh, tough it out through the uh, southeastern North Carolina, through what he called the most barren land he'd ever beheld between Newburn and Wilmington, uh, Lonely Pine Savannah, the whole trip pretty much uh, through Jones County and what's now Onslow County. And um, uh, he thought it was pretty, but he couldn't quite figure that out. And, you know, of course, back then, we unfortunately, we uh, eventually uh, lost all our long leaves because it takes a long time to create lonely forest. And we eventually either bled them all dry or chopped them all down. And uh, a lot of long leaf is, is long gone now. But Washington thought it was pretty, but he couldn't quite understand what the value of it was at the time. Uh, so and then he was in Wilmington uh, for a couple of days before heading heading south. And if you want to keep me going right now, I'll just start. I'm bringing you back up through North Carolina. So, you know, after his visits down to South Carolina and Georgia, he worked his way back up through the Piedmont. And you've probably heard this, Cassie, um, when he, he got to Charlotte, his first stop on the way back north. And he only spent one night there. And in his diary, he wrote, Charlotte is but a trifling place. <laughs> So, boy, uh, that's something that they're still living with there. And I always uh, say that they've been trying to prove him wrong, you know, ever since. So, <laughs> so um, that that's just a, such a kind of a humorous thing, isn't it? Because Charlotte is 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 just, uh, in their own minds, are special. And, and other people uh, might think so, too. But anyway, and I grew up in the Charlotte region, the Charlotte media market. And I like Charlotte very much. But I just... I, I'm so glad George Washington did call him a trifling place. They kind of needed that. Yeah. It's so funny because so the great the great wagon road ran down from Pennsylvania and of course through Mecklenburg County. And a lot of my ancestors who were on my dad's side from Western North Carolina, they came down that road and they settled in Mecklenburg and then they left Mecklenburg and moved into the mountains. And so it just it makes me laugh because I'm thinking those were probably my people who were there back then. Some of your folks were around there. Yeah. Well, in fact, talking about the wagon road coming right in there, I, I think you may have kind of come in right at Trade and Tryon Street. And uh, back then, the courthouse, which was a ramshackle wooden place from Mecklenburg County, was literally out in the middle of the square of Trade and Tryon. Uh, and so that didn't impress Washington either. In fact, he stayed pretty much within sight of it. Uh, by the way, I believe I'm still a little vague on this, but – he stayed at the corner of church and trade streets. And as to exact spot, it's still unclear to me, but there's a Hooters more or less on the site today. So that's another interesting fact that there's a Hooters that's, that's now on top of where George Washington slept uh, in Charlotte. <laughs> but, but from uh, that spot, he moved north past what's now the uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway and heading towards President Day Concord. And I uh, spent the night with uh, with uh, someone from the uh, uh, Martin Pfeiffer, who I think he knew from the Revolutionary War days. That was one thing he enjoyed during the whole trip was making connections with old Revolutionary War officers or seeing battlefields, which he did occasionally throughout the trip that he had only read about uh, there before in reports. But now he was seeing them firsthand and kind of imagining what it was like there, you know, back down in Camden and Charleston and so forth, Savannah. And then in North Carolina, he did not get to Kings Mountain with my wife's from Kings Mountain. So she's always upset that George didn't get by the battlefield. 
in Kings Mountain, but uh, he did see uh, uh, sites along the way uh, north of there, including Guilford Courthouse, so and which was uh, an important one. So after Salisbury, he did get up to Old Salem and Guilford Courthouse and saw that battlefield, and then worked his way north. And I will mention uh, that um, his last night in North Carolina was just south of the Virginia line, uh, south of Danville, a mile or two south of Danville. And the home in which he stayed uh, was, uh, it still exists in a form. It was moved in the 1970s uh, down to uh, Hillsboro to be part of a kind of a historic, uh, a bit of a kitschy uh uh, 1950s looking style historic sites place, but it was moved to Daniel Boone Village, which is just off I 85. And this old home uh, is is still there, but the site's being redeveloped, and the home is is under threat to be torn down right now, which makes me sad. So uh, it's even been a Mexican restaurant over the years, but it's now empty. The site's being redeveloped. Uh, some squatters had gotten in the house recently, started a fire, but it was not great damage. Uh, but I think some locals over there are still trying to work, see if they can save it. But I did speak to someone. You have to keep these things in perspective, or at least I'm rationalizing uh, about this. But um, the someone who works in historic preservation said they'd examined the house in the, in the end of last year and said that uh, probably wasn't less than 10% of the fabric of that home would have been there uh, when George Washington visited. It, you know, it'd been remodeled several times, so forth. So it's not like it's really the same place, but it's still an icon of where George Washington stayed his last night in North Carolina in 1791. So I hope I hope it gets saved, but it's in Hillsborough right now. Me too. I'm actually going to make a note of that and see if I can research it and maybe share that with everybody. <laughs> um, I was actually going to ask you, I mean, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Are there places still in existence that we can go today where Washington actually visited here in North Carolina? There are a few, um, not a ton, but a few. You can certainly go to the communities. Uh, and you know, uh, in Halifax, we don't know exactly where he stayed, but uh, Historic Halifax is a great uh, state site, state of North Carolina site to uh, to visit. And uh, so you can sense it's a very small community, so you can get a real sense of Washington being there. It's well-preserved, and so I suggest going there. Uh, so, yes, in Newburn, uh, you know, folks, if they want to kind of feel connected to Washington's visit, uh, it is not certain, but it is highly likely that Washington spent uh, two nights there in the John Wright Stanley home, which is across the street from Tryon Palace. And so that's a place that you can visit. It's a public uh, kind of house museum uh, there in uh, Newburn, and it's right across the road from Tryon Palace. Washington did uh, go to a dinner and dance at uh, Tryon Palace. Of course, the current palace is is not the same uh, actual building because it burned down uh, early uh, in the 19th century. But, you know, fortunately, I guess Newburgh got poor and didn't do much around there to corrupt things. Um, and so they knew where the footprint of the building was. There were still some bit of ruins there. And I think there was an outbuilding or two that had survived. And so in the 1950s, Tryon Palace was rebuilt. They still had the plans uh, from I believe his name was John Hawks, the architect who had lived in Newburn, and so still had those plans. So they built you know exact replica right on the uh, foundation of where the palace has stood. So that's kind of cool, and you can go to see Tryon Palace. Washington uh, did uh, dine and dance in there, and uh, as you go along the way, really can't you can you know in my book I have a little map, and uh, you can follow along some of the country country routes and so forth, but. I think going down to Wilmington, there's not any real sights much to uh, see as far as uh, that Washington saw. When Washington came north, I think the only place you can see that uh, you can really relate to his trip would be in Old Salem. You know, Old Salem, the the uh, the, the street layout, a lot of the buildings were there as he knew it, and the building where he stayed is still there, Salem Tavern. And uh, it's open to the public. So that's a great sight to see as it relates to uh, to George Washington. And um, that's pretty much it in, in North Carolina. Uh, he did, by the way, a lot of people do enjoy seeing Mount Vernon coming up for North Carolina. And Washington didn't get there. I believe it was like eight times during his eight years as president. And so and he rarely got there during the revolution. Uh, so he enjoyed stopping at Mount Vernon. Uh, coming and going on this trip. So uh, if you go up to Mount Vernon, you know, that actually also has a little bit of history with his uh, visit to North Carolina. 
here's something interesting that I read and I wanted to ask you about this. Um, so I read that Tarboro's Town Commons is only one of two original town commons still remaining. The other one is in Boston. And it said that Washington actually um, went to the park. And so the park is still there. Is that correct? It is still there. And it's a beautiful site. And it's a rare, like I say, it's a rare site to see something like that. I, he did not write in his diary. So others may have uh, you know, said what they saw him do. Uh, I have to assume he was there because it was such a small place. And yeah, I know it was there. And so I'm sure he did. And uh, yes, that's a, and Tarboro is such a wonderful place to visit. So much history of all kinds uh, there. But yeah, if you want to feel connected to George, I'm sure by going to the Tarboro Town Common, um, he stood out there too. I can't imagine he did not. Um, and he, he only spent the one night there. Uh, but uh, uh, he actually liked it better. You can tell the way he put it in his diary. He liked Tarboro a little better than Halifax. I guess he was just happy to get away from Wiley Jones. <laughs> So you said his tour was successful. So does that mean that his presence actually did kind of help unify everybody? You know, I, it's hard to measure that, Cassie, but you got to feel like it did. I mean, I, because uh, this is something I think that the average citizen doesn't think that much about today. But but in that era, uh, there was no concept of being particularly loyal to a greater country um, you know, in the revolution, you know, it was mostly militias that provided the the uh, the men, the soldiers. We had a Continental Army. Uh, Washington had a hard time keeping them together. Uh, everyone felt connected to where they were from, you know, almost their locality and at the most their state. So when Washington made this trip as president in his first term, only been president two years uh, you know, most people just sense that they were they were from North Carolina or they were from, you know, their section of North Carolina. And so Washington, I think, is this presence and the kind of words that he would offer and kind of bringing news from all the states, uh, I think it went a long ways towards making people feel Americans, kind of unifying us from, uh, you know, from Boston on down. And so um, I, I I feel good that it did. I, I, he felt good that it did. But it's hard to measure. But, yeah, I think it's important. You know, we always had that underlying uh, tension between the North and the South that was there at the Constitutional Convention, uh, largely over slavery and the economy uh, in general. And so uh, I think Washington's uh, early visits to the states helped, you know, keep that under some control. Uh, eventually, it all it got out of hand. But uh uh, had Washington not made these trips and Washington not been the strong presence he was for eight years, um, yeah, I think you can make a case uh, that the country uh, might not have survived. So uh, I, I just like to think that this was an important part of it, these trips. So can you tell me a little bit more about George Washington? I actually, it's so funny because I knew we were going to do this interview today. And so last night I started researching about George Washington because I do have that family connection. And but I don't know much about him and finding out I was related to him. That's really what all of a sudden got me really interested. And so now I'm like, now I have to do all this research. So what do you know? Well, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself a true Washington scholar, but just because I've studied uh, a lot of related things to him and this trip for so long, uh, you pick up a lot. And I think he was a complex uh, figure. Uh, he was uh, someone whose life circumstances, I think, influenced him. But he was very ambitious, and so he meant to prove himself. His life circumstances, I mentioned, are his, his father died when he was only, I think, 11, something like that. And he, he, he had a relationship with his mother that was not a warm, fuzzy one. I think she was a strong-willed lady, too. And uh, I just sensed that his relationship with his mother was never very warm. He was always good to her and provided for her all his life. But uh, he sort of, um, I think, felt he had to overcome the circumstances. And those were that he lost his father early, had kind of a tough relationship with his mother, and he was ambitious. And unlike his older siblings, he didn't have the same educational opportunity. So he just had to be schooled best he could at home. So many of the peers that his family there to four had known, they were sending their 
kids to London to school or off to private academies elsewhere in the country. But Washington didn't get that. So he was not formally uh, educated, and that always bugged him. Uh, but he always was working at self-improvement. Um, he, he, he was a big reader, and uh, he liked uh, to improve himself, and he worked at that. And he had a great interest in farming and the military. And so a lot of his library <laughs> will uh, confirm that. And so, in fact, Mount Vernon has done a good job of gathering a lot of the books that they knew he had, finding copies of those that, that exist today uh, at Mount Vernon. So he was ambitious. Um, I always like to make um, some points about now that he wasn't always all serious. And uh, some of the things that make him a little more human are that he liked to dance. He was a great horseman. He loved horses and animals, loved dogs. Uh, there are great anecdotal stories about how dogs sometimes were all in the house at Mount Vernon. And I understand there's a there's there's a tale of uh, a dog uh, getting the country ham off the table uh, in Mount Vernon, that kind of thing. So I love that. You know, it's, that makes him a lot more real. I think he defended the dog to Martha, you know. So uh, <laughs> and he liked his uh, beer and wine, uh, but he always liked to control himself. And he was very conscious of his image. So there's no record really of him ever having too much beer or wine at one time or too much to eat. He was a man that had great self-control, except for one thing, I think. And he, he worked at that, and I think he got better. The one thing he didn't seem to able, able to control very well was his temper. Uh, he was known for his temper. He would get very upset with his junior officers in the Revolution. or with uh, He would just get annoyed and irked a lot. Uh, but that the, that even irked him. You know, he didn't like that he couldn't control himself. And there's a lot of suggestions that uh, that from others that he did work hard to improve on that, and I think he did. Uh, he and Martha uh, were quite the couple. Uh, she was the wealthiest woman, I believe, in the in America uh, when he married her. She was a widow, and uh, yeah, I'm sure he was aware of that, at least in general. Uh, and I'm not. They were not. I would assume, I think it's safe to say, I think love was a different thing in the 1700s anyway, but they did not at first love one another the way we probably know it uh, today. However, I think they fell in love over time, and they had a wonderful uh, marriage, and he was very supportive of her uh, children and grandchildren, took a great interest in them and tried to make sure they were formally educated as best as he could. Uh, so they were, those are some of the things I know about. Washington that kind of make him a little more real. So her children, were they Custises? Yes, they were Custises. That's right. And and they're related to Robert E. Lee. That's right. right? That's, okay. that, that's right. That's that's that the Lee family connection gets confusing. Um, but the world was much smaller back then. And they, the Lees uh, and the Washingtons were there in the same part in general of Virginia, not too far apart. Um, so it was a relatively small world. That's amazing. My, I actually have a cousin who lives in Williams, or she lives in Yorktown, not far from Williamsburg. And so I went and visited her. And when we saw Williamsburg, my mind was just blown because here's this amazing living museum. You know? And um, there's an old church there that has old burials in it. And I wanted to go in and she was telling me, she was like, you can't go in unless you have some sort of relation to someone who's buried there. And so that's kind of what started me looking. I wanted to find a connection to Williamsburg or Jamestown. And and now I have one, so I'm excited. Well, that's neat. Was that the Bruton Parish Church or is it another one? Uh, the Bruton Parish uh, Episcopal Church, right on uh, Duke of Gloucester Street is in Williamsburg, but you might be referring to another one. I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Yeah, okay. I know that we we stood outside the fence and I took pictures and I wanted to go in so bad and she t she broke my heart when she told me I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, you occasionally you run into those kinds of things. Uh, up in Philadelphia, where uh, Washington uh, lived most of his years as president, uh, there's a, a Christchurch Episcopal near where his actual home was in Philly. And I learned that the secretary that he carried with him on the sec uh, Southern tour was buried uh, there at that church cemetery. So I, I did gain access to it, but you would never know which one it was. So a docent of the church had to get me uh, out to uh, see that grave. But uh, you, you sound like me. I like to get in graveyards. And sometimes I, I don't always find what I'm looking for, but I'll usually find something else interesting. Yeah, I suspect you see it that way, too. 
Oh, yeah. I, I love cemeteries. I mean, um, in the mountains when I was little, we went every year and my grandparents mowed the cemetery and, you know, we left flowers and did all that kind of thing. We call it decoration day. Um, so that's a big part of my upbringing. And so I'm attracted to cemeteries. My husband thinks it's the most morbid, weird thing. <laughs> like, I can't help it. I just I love them. It's a wonderful place to go and, you know, learn a little bit more about your history and you know, so yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I to a degree, I'm I've sensed the same as your husband, but that's mostly with if it's if there's a cemetery that's only like 50, 75 years old, and so the burials are all that recent, that feels a little weird to me. It's like that doesn't doesn't seem, but once it gets to be a hundred plus years old, it's like okay, this is better. I don't know, I can't really explain that other than that. It's just my that's my weird rationale about it. So when the grudge gets yeah. to be 100 years old or more, it's like, no, nah, it's not creepy at all. It's, it's just history. See, and that makes sense. Um, but what is it? And what is the one in Wellington? Is it uh, Oakdale? Oakdale. Oakdale, yeah. Oakdale. Um, to me, that is the, it, it might as well be a park. It has these beautiful flowers that bloom every spring. It's so gorgeous. They do uh, tours. I think these are kind of new. They started doing tours uh, around Halloween. And they will give you a tour and, and tell you the ghost stories of the different people who are buried there. And that has always been one of my favorite places. As soon as I got a car, I would start going there by myself and just taking pictures and taking right. them away. It's, it's beautiful. It is. That's like, you're right. They're, oftentimes, the great historic cemeteries are like a park or even the small small ones near churches where there's hardly any new burials. Uh, I like those, too. But they're real old and they just seem like a little a great uh, spot for uh, kind of restoring yourself, oddly enough, with the dead. <laughs> it's actually kind of sad that Washington didn't make it to Brunswick Town because um, Brunswick Town was a huge bed of rebellious activity right before the war. And, you know, of course, the British went in there and completely obliterated it. Um, but there is actually an old, wonderful cemetery that is on the grounds there. And so I grew up going there and spending a lot of time there. So I was kind of surprised to find out he didn't at least stop through when he when he came. Yeah. You know, so sometimes it was a matter of uh, I think he got advice about these kinds of sites and, and places that were of note and, and importance. But, uh, he, you know, the trip took him three and a half months as it was. And so I think at times I just made decisions and, you know, we got to we just got to keep going because. Yeah, this could add three or four hours to the trip to detour over to, to, to this place 10 miles away. And so, uh, they just kept on, on the march. But yeah, he passed relatively near there as it went down, uh, south of Wilmington, uh, towards it. He entered South Carolina at Little River, uh, South Carolina. And, uh, he, he passed right along near Calabash, but he didn't get any fried seafood out here. <laughs> well, I think the fried seafood was probably a little after his time. <laughs> <laughs> they do have phenomenal seafood, though, and I'll tell you right now, because I grew up in Wilmington, I, I spent a lot of time traveling back and forth to Myrtle Beach because that's where all the kids went for spring break, and we always stopped for Calabash. And so anytime I'm in that area, I have to stop and get Calabash. Bex is like one of my favorite places on the planet for fried seafood. Yeah, it's, it's superb for that. That's right. And I think Washington would have liked fried seafood. Um, I think, yeah, Washington, I think, was down to just one or two teeth left uh, when he made the Southern tour in 1791. And I think there were a variety of reasons why he lost his teeth. And uh, he used to like to uh, uh, chew on nuts out in the wilds when he was a surveyor and a soldier. And uh, who knows what all went into his poor dental uh, situation. But I always joked that he lost his last tooth in Old Salem in a Moravian sugar cake. And that's a joke now. But uh, anyway, I thought well, that'd be pretty cool to claim that. <laughs> so have you been to Mount Vernon? So I have uh, been to Mount Vernon quite a lot over the years, and they, they, the staff up there has been great to me back when I was researching for the book and the troop in general. And then uh, I was very honored. I've been invited twice to speak there. So I have spoken uh, up there twice uh, to good-sized audiences. I couldn't believe it. I, and in fact, I'll, I'll say this not to brag of myself at all, but I think it, it tells something about this subject. So uh, I was invited the first time, and I was very honored. I thought, gosh, I wanted to try to suggest they should have me up there, but I thought they, you know, I didn't know how that would work out. Well, even before I 
did any such thing. I got an invitation to come up there. Well, they put me in the large auditorium. I thought, well, if you're going to have me, you probably need to you know, have room for about 25 people or something. Well, they filled up the large auditorium. And, you know, they have all these big name brand people that come there. Uh, and But it, it wasn't that they were coming to see Warren, uh, per se. I think they were coming because they liked this topic. And so then when I signed the book uh, after the talk, um, sure enough, there were a lot of people who now live in the D.C. area and northern Virginia that came over there because they were from other southern states. They were from the Carolinas or Georgia, and uh, they had known about Washington's uh, visit. And so they wanted to hear about this and hear about this new book. And so, um, but that was really cool. I, I couldn't believe it uh, when a bunch of folks showed up. Uh, and, but I think the subject drives, uh, drives that. And then the topic is always popular everywhere I go. Uh, I'm always surprised at how it's, I, I've had a lot of weird interests, uh, over the years in history. And this is just to me another kind of oddball interest that I had, but it's turned out to be a popular one with uh, kind of a, a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, people love Washington still today. A lot of people still love Washington. I can remember in school when we were ta- talking about the founding fathers, Washington was always my favorite because he he was kind of humble, at least the way he was portrayed. He was kind of humble. He didn't he stepped away from the presidency after two terms. He kind of set some precedents that, you know, we still feel today. And he was just beloved. Yeah, he, his he military was, career. He, Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, and my, also in my studies, to your point, yeah, I mean, when uh, the, the bicentennial of his birth in 1932, there were all kinds of celebrations around America about that. Um, so, you know, he was, you know, his picture used to be in every schoolroom, it seemed like, around the country, uh, well into the 20th century, and that sort of thing. Well, our, our sensitivities and sensibilities have been changing a lot in recent decades, and I understand that, but uh, I think Washington is a figure that everyone needs to understand. And I think uh, there's so many qualities he had that um, most of us can agree are, are worth uh, saluting and uh, hoping that we can get more people like that and that kind of leadership uh, in the present day world. Absolutely. I think that people have kind of, Washington was in touch with the people and and he strived to be in touch with the people. And I feel like his Southern tour definitely proves that about him. And I feel like a lot of the people who are elected officials today forget how important it is to connect with their base. I, I have a whole lot more respect for the people who understand the people around them than the people who, you know, we have a few cases of this. We've had it in the past in North Carolina. Well, people will come from other states because you know, their advisors tell them it's a it's a good place where you can get elected. But if you're not from here, how do you connect with us? You know, I think it's important that people do that and you don't see it as often anymore. No, I think that's right. And, you know, Washington was a great example of what you're talking about. And, uh, yeah, more need to do that. I think you get more of the Washington type uh, of campaigning and organic and authentic uh, connecting with people maybe at the, the state and uh congressional level uh, where it's a district within us within our state and that sort of thing but when it becomes even statewide and, and nationwide um, I think people are just more driven by polls and, and being told where they should go when and that kind of thing and instead of just getting out there right and I wish they would because you know we have a lot of good people in America and and to connect with them and learn about their specific problems and actually try attempt to try to figure out how to solve them. I feel like that would go a whole lot further than than the way things are done now. Well, I agree, and I'll vote for you, Cassie. I can tell you, right <laughs> <by> spirit. <laughs> I could never run. I had a wonderful. I had a wonderful experience growing up. Not everybody would approve. <laughs> Right. We had too much fun. We won't delve into that. Yeah. (laughs) What else? You said you have other interests in history. What are they? Well, I I had a, uh, I'm I'm less into that in recent years. And by the way, let me put a plug in. So I I worked full time uh, for the last uh, nearly seven years for PBS North Carolina. And um, I'm a fundraiser for them. So that keeps me really busy and keeps me sidetracked. And I still keep a hand in my Washington. Uh, interest and, in, you know, I accept some speaking engagements and, and things like this wonderful podcast today and, and so forth. So I don't have as much time and energy to pursue other things. But 
One while I was really big into architectural history, and I still like that a lot. I like to understand historic buildings, how they were built, why they were built the way they were, and so forth. And, you know, North Carolina, and you probably know this maybe better than I do, but there's a lot of wonderful buildings of all kinds in North Carolina, and um, some that date back to the 1700s. And so uh, that's an interest of mine. Also, like uh, the New Deal era of the 1930s and early 40s, uh, in our state, Art Deco architecture, and I love post office murals that were part of the New Deal. And so I kind of study where they are. I try to go visit them when I can. You know what I'm talking about? And the old post offices from the 30s, early 40s, we had public I, art oftentimes. We did. I actually, um, my grandparents told me about that because, you know, uh, my grandpa was in the CCCs. And oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these different things I learned about, like, directly from then. I actually haven't gone and seen any. I should. But um, as far as the buildings and stuff go, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of saving history. So I actually have a, another podcast scheduled where we're going to talk about the Snow Hill Colored School. It needs to be saved. Um, and then uh, Mill Prong House, I went out there. I've written two pieces about that. I'm hoping that I'll be able to get somebody on the podcast to talk to me about that. But I feel like these old buildings, we, we really need to save them. It gives people a connection, you know, to their own roots and in their own area. And I feel like that's seriously important. So I'm very into old architecture and that kind of stuff. I actually have, um, I went and saw uh, Purdy Hall of, let's see, when was this? This was um, maybe August, September, somewhere in there. And they are doing, it's privately owned, but they're doing excellent work at, you know, restoring it and bringing it back to life. So I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, um, I'm old enough to remember that as a, a boy in the 1960s, uh, there was, things were really getting run down, things that were really old and things that were only a few decades old, but this stuff was getting run down. And Americans didn't generally care much about preservation at the time, uh, with some exceptions. And so stuff was just getting torn down left and right in the 60s, only into the 70s. But somewhere in there, something turned. And I'd say, you know, by 1984, we've done a much better job in historic preservation uh, and restoration and, and a lot more uh, sense uh, surrounding it. So uh, today, it's usually a big deal when we lose important stuff, but this still happens. And uh I think it's good just to be aware of it. Like you say, uh, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. And it's just something that is, I think, there as an icon to help us feel tied to the past. I think if you feel like you're living only in the present uh, and with the future facing you, uh, it's scarier. I think it's great to have these things that remind you that there were others that came before you. Exactly. To me, um, I think... Roots are important, and that's something that kind of gets glossed over today. And being able to look back into your past and connect yourself to generations who came before, it does. It makes things a little less overwhelming because people have been here. They've done it before. They succeeded. Sometimes they failed, you know, but for the most part, when you look around, where we are today came from somewhere. And it's important to be able to look back and go, that's where we came from. That's how we progressed. I totally agree. That is that is so true. By the way, the home in uh, Hillsboro that is uh, being uh, greatly threatened is the Dudley Gatewood home, but it's never been really documented as an important home. Uh, there is an historical marker in um, uh, what is that uh, Caswell County up near the Virginia line that says Washington spent the night at the Dudley Gatewood home near here, but uh, or the former home near here. But the home was moved to the Pillsboro near I-85 back in the 70s. So it's the Gatewood home that is uh, being uh, threatened now. And it sounds like it's about too late to step in. I think some local people took an interest in it a little bit too late. And the developer is now under the gun. I think local officials, uh, uh, you know, public security, public safety uh, folks are saying, you know, this is a threat to public safety. People are getting in there. They're starting fires. It could be a place for crime, blah, blah, blah. And I understand that. And so, you you, you know, you can't seem to keep it secure. I, I, I think it may be too late to uh, save it. Um, but I always like to then, if we do lose things like that, use that as the impetus to try to save future things. So uh, we'll see what happens on that front. But uh, the local public safety folks are coming down hard on the current owner, which is a developer, to say, 
you know, if you can't secure this place, you're going to have to just, uh, I'm, we're going to condemn it and you got to take it down. And there doesn't seem to be enough interest slash money locally by anybody involved to want to save it, either to move it or to secure it or whatever. And then it's up to that developer if they, you know, they probably rather see it gone. It's just easier for them to do what they're going to do there. But I think they were open to trying to let somebody move it or possibly take it on the site and do something with it. But no one has gotten their act together uh, about it. And so um, it may be too late there. So, um, but Medley Gatewood, by the way, is talking about North Carolina uh, culture. His um, great, great, some or another, great, great, great granddaughter was Maud Gatewood from Caswell County, who became a noted artist, a painter uh, in the 20th century. So, you ever hear Maud Gatewood? Then Washington stayed with her ancestor. <laughs> That's awesome. I have it. I'm going to have to look her up. I love local art. Um, anything at all that has to do with North Carolina culture, I'm usually obsessed with it. I try to travel. I mean, if you've been following me for a little while, I I get out and travel the state all the time, take pictures and try to find art pieces and different things to share with everybody so that they can feel a little more connected to home, you know? I was just saying, if, <laughs> if folks want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Warren Bingham. Uh, just my name, but, uh, I'm, I'm thinking I'm not quite as active as I was one while. It just, the platform's gotten quirkier. You may be able to fight your way through it better. I think if you're on there regularly throughout the day or something, you can, uh, manage it better, but it just doesn't seem to work the way it did to me. I mean, my feed is, is gotten very different. I, I, I assume you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, um, that's my, my little, uh, trick there is I don't really go on my feed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What thing? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I post, and the people who see it see. You know, I have certain friends that I'll go on their stuff, and I'll I'll talk to them on their page, but I don't really use my feed. <laughs> there you go. Well, that that that's uh that's it. That's the deal. Okay. Yeah. Um. So and so I might my social media is mostly just kind of personal uh, these days. I used to promote myself a lot as a writer and speaker. I was doing freelance writing uh, some years back too. But uh, right now, I'm all tied up with the uh, statewide treasurer, PBS North Carolina, so not uh, promoting myself per se. Uh, by the way, let's see, I had some other uh, thing I want to mention, uh, talking about North Carolina and uh, sharing things. Uh, for about seven years, uh, back up until about 2017, 18, I was occasionally on WPTF radio, which is the second oldest uh, radio station in North Carolina. Uh, that's out of Raleigh, AM only. And WBT in Charlotte is the oldest. And in fact, I think um, uh, WPTF turns 100 maybe this coming uh, year. Um, anyway, I had the best time on there uh, doing a thing I called Carolina Color, where the morning host uh, would agree to speak to me for about 10 to 12 minutes on some topic of my choice about North Carolina history or culture. And it was just whatever I came up with, and I would kind of bone up on it over the week, and then we would discuss it. So I just had a great time. It was a little bit of doing what you do, uh, but I said I had all kinds of topics. Some of them were more business related. I remember it was like the history of golf in Pinehurst, or it might be uh, uh, something about uh, the, the oldest radio stations or the first TV station, just kind of trivial stuff uh, that I'd like to share or some things that you might know about from uh, that you'd find in the ncpedia.com these days. So um that's that was before Twitter, really, I guess, really took off. And so anyway, that was my way of sharing. But now I'm too tied up to do that. I love that, though. That's phenomenal. It, I think that I get so much interaction on Twitter because there's not a lot of people who talk about the things that I talk about. And don't get me wrong. I love our state. They're phenomenal, but they're not very interactive with people who follow them and I'm not entirely sure that everyone who writes from them is straight from North Carolina. Right. Um, so it's nice to have a place for people to come where it's somebody who is North Carolinian who's talking about North Carolina. And I, I kind of think that's why I, I do OK. You know what I mean? Is because people want to connect with each other. They want to connect in a meaningful way. And, and that's kind of missing right now. But being able to do that on the radio is phenomenal. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and uh, we did it live most of the time, and um, it was funny because here we are uh, today recording our podcast, but when I was live, I think I was smoother than I was when it was being recorded. I, something about the pressure, you got to get it right. Uh, so it was a lot of fun, and I got good feedback from it, I think, from mostly uh, North Carolinians of uh, long vintage. So uh, 
like you're saying, I think folks who have been here and have ties here going back generations uh, do enjoy a uh, chance to interact and hear uh, from others of the of the same kind. Right. I think that's great. Thank you so much for doing this with me today. I was so excited. I have to tell you, your book has been on my want to read list forever. And now I actually have to go buy it. Yeah, you got to you got to buy that now. Okay. I'll make twelve cents if you go buy that thing. So I'll, please get out there. I need. All right. I'll, I will make sure you get your twelve cents. Thank and you. And next Kathy. time I'm up in your area, I'm going to come by and you're going to have to sign it for me. <laughs> I will be honored to do that. Would love to see you in person. And thank you for inviting me today. It's been a lot of fun. It has been fun. Thank you again. Oh, you're welcome. I'll see you on social media. All right. Bye. All right. Bye bye. All right, y'all, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll be back next Wednesday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss me. And if you're looking for any more content, you can always head over to the blog at www.wherethedogwoodblooms.com. Y'all stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon.